A very good evening. Please do be seated. It's lovely to have you all here. Uh, we particularly want to welcome those who are new and those who are visiting us because they normally go to SMAC who are on camp. You're all very, very welcome. We are continuing the series we left off in Hebrews. We're now in Hebrews and chapter 7. So it would be great if you could open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7. It was on page 1196, page 1196, and Hebrews 7. The other thing I can commend to you is in the center of your bulletin, there's an outline that shows you where you're going. Um, you might find it helpful to take notes. Some people do. But most importantly, Hebrews chapter 7 on page 1196. And if we've got that, shall we start with prayer? Almighty God, we give you thanks because you give us your word. And in your word, you give us strength and comfort and confidence. We pray now that you would give us those things as we consider the word we have heard together. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be ever acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, this evening, we will hear one of the most sacred, most holy, most wonderful, and most comforting promises of all scripture. We will hear a promise which drives out our guilt, which destroys our fears, which banishes forever every hesitation in drawing near to God. A promise as great as that. A promise which comes from Hebrews and chapter 7. A chapter which is dense, a little bit heavy, but a chapter which is full of a firm confidence in Jesus our Lord. Now that really big promise we're going to see today, in fact, builds upon three smaller promises, which we will have to see first. And so first we will see that Jesus is very great. Second, we're going to see that Jesus' priesthood is very powerful. Third, we're going to see that Jesus has got the power to guarantee the promises he makes us in his covenant. And then finally, as we put those three things together, we will see the big and very wonderful promise that God has for us today. So first, Jesus is very great. How great is Jesus? He is great like Melchizedek is great. The previous chapter and Psalm 110, which we sung today, both insisted that Jesus has been made a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is something like Melchizedek, or more accurately, Melchizedek is something like Jesus. But who is this Melchizedek, and how does he show us the greatness of Jesus? If you remember our Old Testament reading, Melchizedek was the man who met Abraham. Abraham had just returned from defeating four powerful kings and rescuing his nephew Lot from them. And then he meets this Melchizedek, who is king of Salem and priest of God Most High. How is this guy great? Well, first of all, he's actually a double king. He is king of Salem, 
probably the future Jerusalem, but he is also, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. That's what Hebrews 7 and verse 2 tells us. But he's also great because he's a priest of God. He's a priest even though Moses has not yet been born or started the priesthood. He's already a priest, and that makes him great. But the thing that really shows his greatness is how Abraham treats him. This mighty, king-crushing Abraham coming from the slaughter of the kings meets King Melchizedek and gives him a tenth of all. Giving tribute like that, it's something that a lesser king does to a greater king, isn't it? And then Melchizedek blesses Abraham. Now, a father, he doesn't ask his daughter's blessing when she wants to get married, does he? It's the other way around. And in the same way, it is a lesser king who is blessed by a greater one. Melchizedek here is clearly greater than Abraham. In fact, so great is Melchizedek in this passage that Melchizedek is kind of like the greatest king of all. He's kind of like the son of God himself. And this we see particularly when we realize he just comes from nowhere. No parents, no genealogy, no birth and no death. Almost like the son of God who just continues a priest forever. Hebrews 7 and verse 3 Melchizedek is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God. He continues a priest forever. That's the first big thing. Melchizedek is great. And so Jesus, a priest in the order of Melchizedek, is also great. Brings us to the second mind-blowing promise of this text. Jesus' priesthood is very powerful. And again, we're going to see it by looking at Melchizedek. Why? Well, when the text says Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, it must mean that he is not a priest after the order of Aaron. He is not a Levitical priest. He's not a priest in the descendants of Levi and Aaron, the ones that Moses started to serve in the temple. He's not even descended from Levi. We heard Gordon read for us that long list of the ancestors of Jesus, and he comes from the tribe of Judah, from which no one serves at the altar. Jesus is the order of Melchizedek, not a Levitical priest. Now, I've got a question for you. In a fight between a priest of the order of Melchizedek and a Levitical priest, who would win? Who would win in a fight? You may answer if you wish. Actually, we don't need a fight to find out because we already know who is the more powerful. Think back with me. Do you remember Abraham paying a tenth of all to Melchizedek the priest? Well, the Levitical priests also receive a tenth. They receive a tenth of the crops and livestock from the land from their own brothers. They receive what is called tithes. So we have two types of priests, both receiving tithes. Who is greater? Look at Abraham. 
Who is Abraham paying his tithes to? He is not paying his tithes to a Levitical priest. He is paying his tithes to the priest of the order of Melchizedek. And this becomes even more significant when we remember that Abraham is the great-grandfather of Levi, the ancestor of every single temple priest who ever served. For at the time he met Melchizedek, Levi wasn't even born. He was, as the scripture says, still in Abraham's loins. You see, in a sense, in Abraham, as he gives that tithe to Melchizedek, the whole Levitical priesthood is paying tithes to the greater priesthood of Melchizedek. Who would win in a fight? It's already settled. Melchizedek is greater than the Levites. As Hebrews 7 and verse 9 puts it, one might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. And do you see what that means? If Melchizedek is a greater kind of priest than the Levites, then Jesus, who is of the order of Melchizedek, is also a more powerful priest than any Levitical priest who ever served in the temple. He is powerful beyond them all. But what's the cash value of that promise? Why is it important to us? Well, to put it plainly, that means that Jesus can do what the Levitical priests could not do. It's kind of like when you make a new prime minister in your country. You get a prime minister and you swear in your prime minister under the law of the constitution. And being sworn in under the Constitution, his power is limited only to what the Constitution says he can do. Correct? And in a similar way, the Levitical priests, they are made priests under the law of Moses. And so they can never do anything more than the law of Moses can achieve. And the law of Moses, as verse 19 tells us, is not able to make people perfect which means the Levitical priest ultimately cannot make people perfect either. But not so Jesus, for he is not a Levitical priest and not under that law. For he, was, he is after the order of Melchizedek. They cannot make people perfect, but he has the power to do so. Hebrews 7 and verse 11. For if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law. That's the second big powerful promise of this passage. Jesus is a more powerful priest than any priest who served before. Brings us to the third of those wonderful promises. Jesus has got the power to guarantee the promises he makes us in his covenant. His covenant is not just a better covenant, it is an absolutely sure covenant. But why can we say that? Well, have you ever watched Kung Fu Panda? Has anyone watched Kung Fu Panda? You've watched it. Anyone else has watched it? You don't want to admit it's a children's movie, but it's a good movie. 
And if you've not watched it, I'm going to spoil it for you. What happens is this. Bad guys come, and they're trying to take over the world with their evil plans and schemes. The Kung Fu monkey tries to fight them. The Kung Fu Fu Viper tries to stop them. The Kung Fu Crane and Mantis and Tigress, they all come to try to stop the bad guys, but the bad guys are too powerful for them. Until finally, this very well-padded panda named Poe appears. And crucially, this panda, he has the powers that none of the others have. He has powers sufficient to destroy their enemies. And so it is him alone who saves the world. And in a similar but much more serious way, if we want to be sure of being saved, I mean properly and perfectly saved from sin and death and hell, we're going to need someone better than just another temple priest who can make no one perfect. We are going to need a greater, more powerful priest, a priest with superpowers, which mean he can guarantee our salvation. And that is what we have in Jesus. For he has two priestly superpowers. The first superpower he has, verse 16, he has the power of an indestructible life. The temple priests could only serve for a while until they died. But Jesus, who lives forever, is able to serve as priest forever. As the psalm also says, so when you think of Jesus now, when you think of him risen and seated at the right hand of God, never to die again, you can have sure and certain hope that he will not fail you. He will always be there for you, now and forever. As verse 18 says, For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weaknesses and uselessness, the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. That's the first power. But what about the second superpower? The second superpower is this. His priesthood is made not just eternal, but absolutely doubly certain. The old priests were priests just because their dads happened to be priests by bodily descent, but Jesus is certainly a priest. He is made a priest deliberately and specifically with an individual oath from God himself. As verse 20 puts it, quoting Psalm 110, and it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. And what does that mean? It means that we can have no reason to ever doubt his priesthood in any way. It means that he himself is so surely a priest that he himself, this eternal, indestructible priest, guarantees the covenant for us. As verse 22 says, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently 
because he continues forever. So what have we seen so far? We've seen Jesus is very, very great, greater than Abraham. We've seen that Jesus is a very powerful priest, more powerful than any priest who had come before. And we've seen that he is able to make certain and sure the covenant promises he brings. And if we have seen those things, then dear brothers and sisters, then we are also ready to see that most sacred, most holy, most wonderful, most comforting promise that I said we would see. And it is like this. Do you remember learning to drive? Do any of you remember learning to drive? Yeah, okay, some of you. More people remember learning to drive than admit to watching Kung Fu Panda. Interesting. When you learn to drive, I'm guessing probably first you learned about the brake, how to put it off, and then the pedals, what to do with the steering wheel, how to start the ignition, what to do with the mirrors. And every single one of those things is very good and important to know on its own, isn't it? But it's only when you take all those things and you put them together that suddenly you discover you have something far better than any. Suddenly you can drive, right? And in a similar way, having seen the greatness of Jesus, the power of his priesthood, the certainty of his covenant, we're able to now put it together and realize that consequently, and this, this is Hebrews 7 and verse 25, this is our big promise. We realize consequently that he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is able to save to the uttermost. This word uttermost is unusual, but it's a word that translates a Greek term that means completely, always, in every way and forever. If I said, we will go to the uttermost ends of the earth, I would mean we go to the absolute maximum possible ends. If I said, I will help you to the uttermost, I would mean that I'm going to help you in every possible way you can be helped. And when God promises us that Jesus is able to save us to the uttermost, what does he mean? but that Jesus is able to save us to the absolute maximum in every way, for every time, with every power, fully, freely, forever, entirely, eternally, that he brings us unlimited, unshakable, undoubtable, full salvation. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Do you see what that means for us? Dear brothers and sisters, do you see? Is this not what I promised? The answer to all we seek, to all we need now and for eternity, that he saves to the uttermost. Is this not a promise that should drive out our guilt and destroy our fear and banish forever every hesitation in drawing near to him? He is able to save to the uttermost. That means entirely saved and there is no more possible saving that could be added or is not done. Perhaps you are here today and you are thinking, oh, not me. Oh, no. 
My sins are too great. They are too many. They are too awful. I'm too wretched. The time, perhaps, you're thinking for my salvation is past. It's for other people, yes, but not, not for me. Here again, the promise of God. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. That means, that means no condemnation. That means no purgatory or punishment. That means no doubts, no nervousness, no hesitation. That means no guilt in life nor fear in death. He is able to save to the uttermost. And it also means that we know with confidence that we will never need another priest to mediate between us and God again. I say that again. We will never need another priest to intercede between us and God again, for if we have Jesus, we have already a perfect priest, powerful for all our priestly needs, who serves forever. And he is perfect, for as the text goes on to say, he, verse 26, is such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, he has offered himself up for us once and for all and now serves forever to intercede for us. He saves us to the uttermost. Dear brothers and sisters, by way of application, let me leave you with two things. First of all, and we must do this, let us take comfort and courage and rejoice in what we've heard today, that we have such a high priest. And so let us be sure that we draw near to God through him with confidence, for his promises are certain and sure. And secondly, let us also go out to call upon everyone, to call on our friends and our families, our neighbors, our colleagues, even our enemies, to call on them too to come and draw near to the same God through the same perfect and powerful priest, the Son, the Son who so loved us, he died for us, and who saves us to the uttermost. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we sinners give you thanks and praise because you answer the depths of our sins with the glories of your Son, our great High Priest, who is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to you through him. Pray, Almighty Father, that you would give to each one of us a firm confidence in Christ that we should look nowhere else nor need anything else but him who saves us to the uttermost. Drive out our guilt and fear. Draw us firmly in faith and keep us in him for eternity. We pray also, almighty Father, that you would then also open our mouths that we should sing of him, that we should praise him, that we should proclaim him to all the world, that people of every race and nation would join us 
in salvation to the uttermost. Pray, Father, you would grant all these things for the sake of our loving Saviour, your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.